Welcome to the Library Love Fest podcast. I'm Virginia Stanley. I'm Chris Connolly. And I'm Lainey Mays. We are the library marketing team at HarperCollins Publishers. Above all, we love bringing librarians and great books together. Join us every week as we present buzzworthy books through author interviews, conversations with editors, and expert opinions from librarians like you. Enjoy the show. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Check it out. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Brought to you by Library Love Fest. Hi, everybody. This is Lainey from the Library Love Fest podcast. And today we have an interview with Alicia Rye. Um, her book, First Comes Light, comes out in February. Very excited before I introduce her. Hi, Alicia. How are you? Hi, thanks for having me. Of course. Librarians uh, love these books so much, and we're very excited to have you on. So I'm going to give you a little introduction before we talk about the new book. Lisa Rye pens award-winning contemporary romances, and her novels have been named Best Books of the Year by Washington Post, NPR, Amazon, Entertainment Weekly, Perkis, and Cosmopolitan Magazine. Entertainment Weekly calls you one of the bright, very brightest romance writers working right now, and I have to agree. So this is the third in the Modern Love series, First Comes Like, which comes out in February. The first being The Right Swipe, which was a number one library reads pick for August 2019. Congratulations. And Girl Gone Viral was voted the, on the April 2020 library reads pick. So um, without any further ado, let's talk about First Comes Like. Do you want to tell them a little bit about the book and what it's about? Sure. So uh, this is the third book in the Modern Love series, and the Modern Love series follows a trio of roommates. They're all sort of in the tech industry. And in First Comes Like, the heroine, Gia, she is a social media influencer. Um, started sort of got her big break on YouTube doing makeup tutorials and beauty you know, tips and stuff like that, and has grown since then. Um, and she is sort of experiencing the growing pains that I like a lot of social media influencers do as, you know, they grow older and different platforms come out and, you know, they have to sort of navigate their way through these various things. She's a YouTuber. TikTok is big now. So like trying to figure out how to reconcile that. So she's sort of at a crossroads in her life. Um, but while she's sort of struggling with this, she's also been talking to this guy online who she thought was sort of this big Bollywood star and um, sort of has, you know, developed feelings for him, a crush on him. And he's been a little bit cagey. He was, you know, obviously overseas and now he's in America and he's been a little bit uh, cagey about meeting up. So being the forthright person she is, she decides to just force the meeting and she uh, heads to, to his um, sort of cast party. He's working on a show in America. Uh, she finds out where it is and she goes there and he has no idea who she is. So it sort of starts there and, and we have to follow it through to see exactly what happened, to see where the catfishing ended up. And, um, but it ends happily. So it's a catfishing that, that ends well. <laughs> I, I love, well, someone who always says like, Neve Shulman is my patron saint. I love catfish <laughs> so much. I love that show so much. It's wild. <laughs> Some things I'm so concerned about. Um, but I, it, I actually, I met someone who was on the show. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Did they was, have good feelings about that? 
Yeah, well, they liked the show, but okay. I guess uh, it was, it ended up not being real that she, the guy thought she was catfishing him and she wasn't. Like, she was a real person. So she, she was That's like, he was, she was like, Nev was really nice though. Or, you know, like, yeah. Cast was really nice once they found out it wasn't really a catfish. I would much rather that be the outcome I that I'm too good to be true. Like, <laughs> don't believe me. And I think they surprise me on that show sometimes where I'm like, that that can't not be real. But sometimes they are, which is true. I know. It is nice to be like, oh, okay. So not all of humanity is terrible. Okay. Right. (laughs) So the Modern Love series, and I think it's just so brilliant to dive into that because, you know, we have traditional romance or historical romance where we see a lot of different tropes, but like a lot of people aren't talking about dating in the modern world, which kind of terrible sometimes but sometimes really great and where did that that idea come from to do these three books that all take place in a in a modern space so uh two of the characters Rhiannon and Gia are spin-offs from my Forbidden Heart series and so I sort of flirted with the idea there that that series is a little bit more soap opera-ish um a little bit sort of more classic let's say and uh but but these two characters really jumped out at me and one thing that I really liked about them is that they were so like hyper contemporary um and in a lot of ways I think one of the cool things about romance in general is that it's really a snapshot of the world as it exists when the person's writing it. So, you know, I, I say it's a modern love series and obviously in 10 years, you know, the technology is going to be obsolete, right? Who, who's even going to know what kind of social media platforms are out there, what a dating app is, we're going to be like swiping on holograms or something like that, right? So it's going to be completely different. Um, but I do think that there is something wonderful about that, that the fact that romance is that snapshot. It captures sort of life and ro- like love as, as it exists right now. And so this whole series is, is about how it exists right now. And hopefully it'll stand the test of time, even if the technology doesn't. Oh and, you know, that was, there was that HuffPost article that you wrote about the time you went viral. And that was kind of, uh, that, that surrounded a lot of the second book because it had to do with, like, going viral for a, small, a seemingly small reason. And the first book was, um, you know, a dating app. So we really do have that, that canon of all of the crazy things that, are happening now and it is interesting like you say like what will be the the new thing soon and and what will be what will people be swiping on i don't know uh how yeah sound interesting though maybe you should look into starting <laughs> um but it is i i do think it's fascinating all the ways that we find to connect with each other you know despite the fact that we can't leave our house especially now you know but even before this, like who went to a bar anymore and, and, you know, just chatted someone up. It wasn't really something we did. So we figured out a way around it to, to get past that. So I just think humans are really cool like that. And I do think there's something terrible that we all have phones in our pockets. And I talked about this in my HuffPost article too, where I did go viral for a tweet, a silly tweet about dating, about dating and cake pops. And, um, I, it went sort of on the bad side of, of viral instead of the great side of viral. Um, but I think there is a great side of viral. I think there's a great side of, of all of this stuff that we have the ability to connect with each other, even if we can't see each other. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's about the internet in general. You know, it's, it brings so many people together, but sometimes there's the dark side there too. 
Um, and speaking of going viral and the internet, I was telling you before this how much I, how much joy your TikToks have brought me over this quarantine time because I have enjoyed them so much. I don't know if you want to tell people what it's like creating content in this weird time, but or what you feel about t- TikTok. Do you, is that like your preferred mode now or like what, how is that going? At the moment, it kind of is. And I think it's partially because it flexes my writing muscles more than the other platforms do. Because you do have to kind of like the scripts or the, you know, the whatever it is, whatever you're videoing, it has to sort of make sense, (laughs) even if you're just lip singing something. Um, So I, I do like it. And I like that it's a newer platform. So it is a little bit easier to to sort of connect with people because nobody's really gotten jaded and tired and set in their ways. Um, and it does feel like you can carve out sort of a kinder area for yourself on it. You know, obviously there's going to be people who are terrible, but easier to sort of weed them out and curate your feed. Um, but I do love it. I just started it as a whim. You know, I think a lot of people in quarantine were like, let me just try this and we'll watch. It's like, you know, Quibi or like another platform. You're like, oh, let me try this platform for some more entertainment. And I just started it like that. And then I started making videos and I had fun with it. Like it was just fun to, to talk to people and see them and have them react and think you're funny. So it worked out well for me. And I, I do love, I mean, part of it is it was good because I was doing it while I was writing First Comes Life, which is a lot, you know, has a lot to do with like various social media platforms and video platforms. So it actually, I think, helped in the writing of the book as well. Yeah. Um, and we won't go into all the hilarious things because we'd be here all day, but I did see that you have connected with some people who see your books in stores and like show you on TikTok. Like, have there been any like interesting fan meetups in that space that you wouldn't have thought about in person maybe? You know, I think there's a lot of people we forget because we tend to think that like, oh, everybody's on Twitter, everybody's on Instagram, but there's a lot of people on TikTok who aren't on any of the other platforms. So sometimes they come across, you know, my videos and they say, oh my God, like, I have your books. I read your books. I didn't know what you looked like or sounded like or, you know, anything. I've never seen you in person. I was like, oh, that's interesting because I'm on Instagram. Like, you know, you can see my face quite a bit. But I thought that was cool that there's all like this whole world of, of people who maybe aren't on other forms of social media or who are younger and are just starting to get into social media. And so TikTok is the first place they've been to. And, you know, maybe like 17, 18, 19 year olds and they're not on the other platforms. So that's kind of cool. That's, those are fun fan interactions where I go, oh, cool. Hi. You know, like it's yeah. nice to meet you. So <laughs> yeah. Nice. And so being yeah. an influencer yourself, you know, writing <laughs> this character's perspective of like kind of aging through different technologies, like what was that perspective like writing this? Well, I don't know if I'm an influencer, but I do think that there is a certain interesting aspect when you're on TikTok and, you know, somebody from Vine will come on and you see all people go nuts and they're like, oh my God, I remember you from Vine. You know, like, this is so cool. Or like a big YouTuber will come on TikTok. Hi, like I, I watched you as a kid. And it's so funny to see that because you don't realize how old YouTube and Vine and Twitter and Facebook, like all those places where some of these older influencers, I'm older, they're like in their 20s, right? Like these older influencers came from are, are a little bit older now. So there's a whole generation of people who, have, who haven't seen them on 
you know, this platform, making short form videos. And there is a difference, you know, in, in making, like, I've, I've also got like a little YouTube channel where I do like a little, it's called quarantine cuisine. And I do like little, um, cooking shows and stuff like that. And doing a 10 minute video is so different from doing a one minute video. It is, you know, miles apart in, in skill set and writing and, and, you know, everything else. So, you know, it is, it is quite interesting. I think being on TikTok has shown me, you know, sort of the, the evolution of where we started watching these people on YouTube or Vine or Twitter or whatever, and how far it's come and how they adapt to TikTok. I mean, I think some YouTubers do a great job of suddenly they're like, you know, I'm not really on YouTube anymore. I'm on TikTok. And, you know, that's where they've sort of flourished. And others are still like, no, I'm going to cling to that YouTube, you know, even if it is not making as much money or whatever it is. But there's, I think there is, in, like in any industry, there's sort of the shifting tension between the old and the new. And again, I say old, but it's like 20 and 30 year old. So it's not really right. old. YouTube's not that old, but yeah. it is it's fascinating to me. I love to see sort of that. And I, I think I did, you know, I, I teased it out a little bit in the book is, you know, what is this tension and how do you grow from sort of where you came from when you were in a new technology? Like you started in this cutting edge, nobody had ever seen it before a place. And now you feel like you're old, even if you're not, you know, you feel like a veteran of, of this industry and it's, it's a weird industry to be in. Yeah filled with very smart people, I got to say, and I don't think they get the credit they deserve. So that was another thing I wanted to talk about. Yeah. And first comes like, is how hard they work. Like, this is not something where you can just, you know, pick up a, a whatever brand sponsorship and you're set for life. You know, like you have to keep hustling and keep working and make those brand deals like entertaining. And sometimes they don't pay you and you have to chase them. So it's, it's a lot of, lot of hard work more than I think a lot of people think it is. Yeah. Well, I, did really like that too because Gia's like doing all of the sponsored content, working so hard. And you know, one of the running things is feeling accepted, whether by the internet or your family. But mm -hmm. to also like juxtapose it with with his lifestyle of like TV and more the traditional formats where, you know, they're both kind of doing the same things in some ways. Like they're creating this persona and they're reading lines that someone has written. And I thought that was a really cool position to look at the book. And like at one time TV was new, you know, like no one knew what TV right. was. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And he comes from this very like established and famous Bollywood family and his grandparents were sort of legends of the silver screen, you know, in the fifties and sixties. And it's, and it is like, there are many families like that in Bollywood because it's sort of a, a you know, a lot of nepotism going on. So a lot of their kids get jobs and stuff too. He's tried to avoid that. Um, but there is uh, one moment that I like in the book is where his grandmother, she's like a little bit pretentious and, you know, a little snobby. And she's like, you know, you, you film these like makeup tutorials and, and, you know, her mom sort of jumps into defender and was like, you know, you, you were sort of a trailblazer in your industry, right? Like movies were new, like, you know, you yeah. like not new, but like, you know, you, you became like a, a woman in this very like difficult patriarchal industry and, and she's kind of done the same. So it is maybe different formats, but in the end, you know, you're all working just as hard. And I, I do think that's true. I think we have a tendency, especially now to kind of look down on people who maybe make their living doing things that are, especially like if they're makeup or beauty bloggers or something like, oh, that must be so easy. It must be such a fun life. And, and in the end of the day, it's just like any other industry, you're working just as hard as, as anybody else. Exactly. 
And um, speaking of family, I think that, I, I mean, not that the other two books in the series don't revolve around family, but they, this one had a lot of family time. Like she has a lot of sisters and uh, won't talk about all of the relationships with families because they can go listen to maybe good or bad relationships with family. But, um, uh, but what was it like writing all of these sisters dialogues and coming in and out? Because I really did feel, you know, sometimes you're like, oh, I don't know if they would say that or not. But this really did feel like you were sitting at the dinner table with this family and you knew all of them, even though there's a lot of names and you're trying to figure out who's <laughs> what personality is what. So how did you come up with her, her family dynamic? So she is a spinoff. Her, her sister, Sadia, had a book in, her book was Wrong to Need You in the Forbidden Heart series. So her background was already set. And when I was writing this book, I remember thinking, man, I wish I could get rid of half of these sisters because it is a challenge to keep them all straight. You know, it's hard to write a big family. It's not easy. But especially when they're separated, you know, like the, the, they live across the country. So having to do this like over... Zoom calls is is a little bit more of a challenge, but then I thought, okay, well, that's sort of the challenge we're all facing right now, and and I come from a fairly, you know, I'm one of four kids. I my the rest of my cousins, they all have big families too, so like I'm sort of used to this, and and it does feel like I like to write those sibling dynamics because I do feel like I have two sisters. I mean, the way we talk to each other sometimes. <laughs> a little bit, you know, it can, anyone listening in would be like, oh, that's a little harsh, you know, but it's, it's just the way we talk to each other and we love each other dearly. And, you know, we'd never hurt each other or, or, you know, be vicious to each other, but there is still this level of like my older sister. I mean, I'm in my thirties now and she still thinks she knows <laughs> exactly what I should be doing with my life and, and how I should be living it. And that's totally, like, I understand it. I get it. You know, that's just how, how it is sometimes. Um, but yeah, I, I did love writing it and, and writing his family. was fun too, because he kind of has the opposite. His, um, he didn't have a close relationship with his one brother who's, you know, now passed away. Uh, he didn't have a close relationship with his niece who he's now raising. And he has sort of a strained relationship with his grandparents because how they treated his parents. So you know, she, she has issues with her family, but at the end of the day, they're always like in, you know, they're, they're around her all the time. Like they, they are very protective of her and loving and he didn't really have that. And he loves to see it. And I think, you know, part of writing those interactions, one of the fun things was writing his interactions with her family because it did feel like, you know, he needs sort of that, that kind of family. And I, I like to think that, you know, they'll embrace him and pull him into their field too. Cause, cause I think, you know, sometimes you need that. You, like your in-laws will protect you as well. Yeah, yeah. And I think also it's important to point out that she also has this kind of maid family with her roommates, the other two books mm -hmm. in the series that we've seen, the two characters in the two books before we've seen. So she also has like a maid family and you kind of have to go through those relationships too, where it's like, you know, your family's always going to be there. <laughs> Sometimes they like what you do and don't, but you know, you have these other two that kind of love her unconditionally. And I thought that was really an interesting view as well. Yeah, I think I, I love writing found families. They're in a lot of my books. And I think one thing that we forget is even if you have a great loving biological family or, you know, family by legal ties or whatever, you can also still have a found family that loves you in a different way and that provides maybe meets needs that you're family can't no matter how much they love you and, and accept you and, and, you know, want you. So it is, it isn't just sort of 
people who don't have that who need the found family. I think we all kind of need a village to to help take care of us. So that that's something that I liked writing for her is she loves her sister so much. She even loves her twin, you know, her twin sister is always in her corner. But there are certain things that they can't provide for her that her found family can. And I just want to read this wonderful quote that came from Fan Sided. This happiness is a radical act. Claiming your happiness and letting others into your joy is a defiance against anything that any and anyone that tries to steal the best parts of life from you. That's essentially the message that Alicia Rye comes back to in her books. And it's a message worthy of even more stories with characters who shape happiness and what they look like to fit who they are and who they love. And what a beautiful, beautiful quote. And I think that's so true in this story. Um, but I think at the center, you know, it's a romance and we all love that, but also it's so wonderful to see these two characters coming to, to find themselves as well. And I know that that's always, you know, underlying in romance, but I think this one just really flushed it out so, so well. And I, I kind of want to talk about that. This one is a little more of a, a sweeter romance. It's not as uh, hot and heavy, I don't think. So then your other stuff you write, and I don't know if you want to talk about that anymore. I find that so lovely and it was so wonderful, but I don't know if you have any backstory for why, why that is. I think the backstory is just that different characters require different heat levels and explicitness. And I do think that there is something nice about being able to bend your writing for the characters instead of letting the characters bend to your writing. And, you know, if I wrote the same books and the same scenes again and again and again, people would get bored and I would get bored. So it wouldn't be, and then they'd get even more bored because my writing wouldn't, wouldn't be that good. So I do think that there's something nice about flexing different muscles. Yeah, it, it is definitely a sweeter book. You know, it's a pretty low conflict book for all that she's you know, catfished in the beginning. And Girl Gone Viral was kind of the same. You know, it's a, it was a bit of a lower conflict book. And I think it just depends on the characters. Like these characters didn't need that conflict and there was nothing to give them that conflict. So, um, you know, I think it's nice to have no, you know, to, to have different heat levels or to have like, you know, different levels of black moments or, you know, maybe no groveling scene or whatever. You know, there's, there's different things I think that you can take in and out of romance and still have it be your voice and, and your sort of stamp on it. So that that's the only background to it. I loved it. And I think that, it's a challenge and kudos to you on, on that part because it is a challenge to keep an intimacy and like it's very very sweet without a lot of that um steamier romance and I think you it's written so so well and it's just very sweet both are oh writers. good um oh it's just nice sometimes to write like sweet people falling in love I think that that's just nice to see sometimes and to read it especially now like you know you want to sort of just see good people being happy, I think, and, and it's nice to read about it. So that's, that was sort of the motivation behind it, I think. And they, they were just like, she's just a sweet character. Like, I didn't want to put her with somebody who's going to walk all over her or be cruel to her, you know, or even give her sort of like that, you know, huge black moment. I just wanted her to be happy. And so it was, it was a pretty easy decision to make. Well, is there anything you've been reading during quarantine that you have been loving? You know, it's been hard for me to get into books <laughs> lately. I've been doing like a, a lot, a lot, a lot of other stuff um, because books are hard to hold my attention. But one I recently read that I love and I hope everybody goes and pre-orders. Um, it's called Big Bad Wolf by Salika Snyder. 
S U L E I K H A and last name Snyder. And it is such an excellent urban fantasy. Like one of those, I haven't read a good urban fantasy. You know, I love Nalini Singh, um, but I haven't really read like a great one. And I think this one was like, like on level with Nalini Singh. It was so, so good. And it was just smart and clever and really like, tuned into the times, you know, it's sort of like a resistance romance where, you know, they're sort of fighting against, against the people who are trying to oppress them. And, and it was just lovely. I, I highly encourage everybody to go. It's, it's coming out, I believe, early next year. And it's, it's fantastic. Wonderful. And I mean, you're not the only person to say that. And I agree too. like, at quarantine has made our attention spans. Like no one can concentrate. I find it. Yeah. Wow. reading a whole book is like it's such a challenge right now yeah. I know I started off doing uh puzzles and quickly gave up on that so oh no. yeah I have like I have like three puzzles that I bought I don't like doing puzzles I don't know why I thought I would buy them and be like suddenly a puzzle master but I, yeah I have like I bought I bought puzzles I bought poker set I bought like a chess set <laughs> I know you're They're all just get, collecting dust. Get into all of it I'm someday. Gonna it. Yeah, no. After I watched, I watched Queen's Gambit. I loved it, and I pulled the chess set. I was like, I'm gonna learn this, and it lasted like an hour. And I was like, this is too hard. Again, <laughs> there's your next TikTok if you haven't done it already. The me five hours into Queen's Gambit. Yeah. Oh, I should do that. Thank you. <laughs> well, um. I just thank you so much for talking to us because I, this has been such a fun, fun read. And I think that everyone's going to love it. Librarians, you can go download eGalley right now and get to reading. And so that is coming out February 16th. First Comes Like by Mm -hmm. Alicia Rye. Thank you so much, Alicia, for doing this today. No, thank you for having me. This was such fun. Thank you for listening to the Library Love Fest podcast. For more information on this week's episode, go to librarylovefest.com. Enjoying the show? We would love to hear what you think. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Library Love Fest and on Instagram at Harper Library. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share the show with a friend. Lastly, if you enjoy our show, we bet you'll enjoy all of the other podcasts from HarperCollins Publishers. Find a list of shows at harpercollins.com forward slash podcast. See you next week.